0: By the way, today's message is brought to you by (laughs) Coca-Cola. Like Jesus, it's the real thing. Little changes our lives, like becoming new parents, the birth of a child, uh, and few things fill our lives with more joy. So if you haven't been with us, today we're on day three. We've been talking about three days, three events that have the the power, an even greater power than becoming a parent, a uh, power to change our lives and to fill us with joy. So day one, we talked about, was Good Friday. We talked about the crucifixion of Jesus. Day two is Silent Saturday, and that was the day that Jesus' body lay in the tomb. This is day three. Amen. And as day breaks on Sunday morning, something happens that changes everything for the disciples and for us. Look at John 20, verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Sunday of course, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, Where Jesus had been buried two days before and while it was still dark. She saw that the stone Had been taken away from the tomb now if you have your notes and everything circle the word taken away In in most of the depictions that we see pictures and movies uh, When we look at the empty tomb that stone is usually just kind of almost barely rolled away So that a person can squeeze through and get in and out of the tomb But that this word taken away means something completely different that describes what Mary saw when she came to the tomb. It means to remove something a great distance. It was like that two-ton stone had been thrown away like a frisbee. How do you explain that? It was like a dynamite blast blew that two-ton stone away from the tomb at the entrance. That's not natural unless you have dynamite, which they didn't. (laughs) That was something supernatural that she saw, and she knew it. So Mary runs and reports to the disciples what she's seen, and John and Peter race to find out for themselves what's going on. John 20 talks about it. And it starts out, and it says, John outran Peter and arrived at the tomb first. Any any guesses who wrote this account? (laughs) How many of you vote for John? He just had to add this little detail in there so the whole world would know for all of eternity that he could outrun his cousin Peter. What a guy. So in verse 5, it says, Stooping down, he looks in. He sees the linen wrappings that Jesus had been buried in, and they were neatly lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, and I think it's implied, Simon Peter finally shows up. Following him, and he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings neatly lying there. And the burial face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, was not lying there with the other linen wrappings, but it was rolled up in a place by itself. So John, who had reached the tomb first, there he goes again. (laughs) (laughs) He went in too, and he saw the wrappings and the face cloth, and he believed without any doubt that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, what did they see when they looked into that tomb that convinced them that Jesus had risen from the dead as opposed to somebody having stolen his body? What happened is that they saw the strips of cloth that Jesus' body had been wrapped in. They were lying there where he had been laid three days before, like an empty cocoon. And that cloth that was around his head was either folded or or neatly wrapped, rolled up beside it. Now, how could Jesus' body have been removed without tearing those, those gravecloths to shreds? Uh, this was not something, again, that was possible by natural means. This was supernatural. And really, the only thing that explained it was what Christ told them was going to happen before he was crucified, that he was going to rise from the dead. A fact, again, that changed everything for the disciples, that changed their world, and it continues to change the lives of people today. So what difference does the resurrection make? Uh, Number one, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that faith can be based upon fact. Now, I know a lot of you here believe in science. You're intellectual guys. I believe in science. A lot of people believe that the Bible's just a book of myths and fairy tales, right? There was a teacher, she was teaching her class all about the different kinds of fish that lived in the ocean. And a young boy raised his hand very innocently says, what kind of fish was it that swallowed Jonah in the Bible? And the teacher laughed and she said, honey, the story of Jonah is not a true story, it's a fairy tale. And the little boy said, no it's not, it's true. And the teacher said, well then, how could you tell me, how could Jonah be alive after three days in the stomach of a big fish without any Oxygen. And the little boy answered, Well, I don't know. When I get to heaven, I'll find Jonah and I'll ask him. <laughs> and the teacher kind of smirked and said, Well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? He says, Then you can ask him. <laughs> Somebody needs to talk to that boy about grace. Grace. You know, unlike what many think and unlike other religions, belief in Christianity is not just a matter of blind faith. It's more than just a philosophy. It is reasonable. It's based upon evidence. It's based upon an actual event in history that can be proven or disproven. In fact, the Apostle Paul issues a challenge to unbelievers and cynics and critics of Christianity. And he says this. He says, disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we will go away. That's all you have to do is disprove that Jesus rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is vain. It's useless. It amounts to nothing. And your faith is also in vain, imaginary, unfounded, devoid of value and benefit, not based on truth. Verse 15, we are even discovered to be false witnesses, misrepresenting God, because we testified concerning him that, that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and powerless, mere delusion. You are still in your sins and under the penalty of sin. And then we who believe in Christ are of all people most miserable and to be pitied. So is again, he's just laying this challenge down. He says, you know what? Disprove it. All you have to do is disprove the resurrection and we'll go away. We'll stop talking about this Jesus. But on the other side of Paul's challenge is this. If the evidence points in the other direction, if Christ did rise from the dead, and he's alive today, then you have a decision to make about him. Speaking of evidence, let me tell you about a man named Dr. Simon Greenleaf. He was royal professor of law at Oxford University. He authored, he was considered one of the greatest legal minds in the world, still is. He authored what's considered to be the greatest volume ever written on how to gather Uh, evaluate and present evidence in court to prove a case. So Greenleaf was an agnostic and he was an atheist and he hated Christianity and what he decided to do is he decided to take the, the laws of gathering evidence and examining evidence and he was going to go out and disprove the resurrection based on evidence. And he wanted to write a book about it. Well, in the process of researching the evidence for the resurrection, he did write a book, but it wasn't the book he planned to write. You see, Simon Greenleaf ended up becoming a member of the group he despised. He became a follower of Jesus Christ because the evidence was overwhelming in favor of the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead and is alive today. And so he ends up writing a book that affirms that belief. And in his book, Greenleaf writes this, the resurrection of Christ is one of the best supported events in history according to the laws of legal evidence administered in courts of justice. And he goes on to write, he says, no intelligent jury in the world could conclude anything else beyond a reasonable doubt that the resurrection story is true. What does that mean to you? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. And he's alive today. Maybe you're here today and you have not settled in your heart who Jesus is. Isn't it time? And you know what? We're not talking about a huge leap of faith. This isn't blind faith. This is a leap of reasoned faith. You know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ will never be disproven. You know why? Because he is risen. risen Amen. He is risen. risen Now let's be honest. I know some of you are here because you, you were drugged. Your wives drug you to church because it's Easter, right? I won't ask you to raise your hands. But no matter how you got here, why don't you make this your time to put your faith in Jesus Christ? And I want to talk to men for a moment. I want to talk to dads. Because I am a dad. Understand something, that in most homes where the father is not a follower of Jesus Christ, the kids will never make that decision themselves. Or they will walk away from Christ later in life. The example of their dad is that powerful. Either to believe or to not believe. Listen, Jesus is too important a figure in history. His claims are too shocking. His life too noble. His death and resurrection too certain and too momentous. The well-being of your children too important for you to ignore him another day. Easter Sunday and the empty tomb give us a solid foundation on which to base our faith. Well, number two, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means there is a God who loves us unimaginably. Without the resurrection, we would have never heard about this Jesus guy. He would just be one of thousands of forgotten false messiahs, people that claimed to be the messiah that were executed. Just one more of those. The fact of the resurrection, however, turns a tragic story into a triumphant one. It turns the cross, an instrument of torture and death, into a symbol of the greatest act of love that's ever been demonstrated. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. Say, so loved. So loved. For God so loved. Say it. Say, for God so loved me. That he gave his only son, that whoever trusts in him, that means you, shall not suffer death, the penalty for sin, but will have eternal life. You know, the crucifixion of Jesus wasn't as it appeared. It was not his defeat. It was his victory, and it was ours. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory over sin and death through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. My brother and I were uh, waiting in the church lobby one day when we were kids. We got bored, as kids do, and so we kind of began to poke each other and giggle. And my mom, bless her heart, she said, "You boys, be quiet. You don't play and laugh. This is church. This is God's house. Do you do you want God to punish you? You want something bad to happen?" We were freaked. You know, we kind of looked at each other. We didn't say anything, but we knew what was going on in each other's minds. What the heck is wrong with God? Why is he so grumpy? Why is he opposed to us having fun in his house? And why is he so quick to punish us? You know, it's easy to fear a God like that. It's not so easy to love a God like that. But how different the God who is revealed to us through the cross and the resurrection, how different that God is. A God who loves us so much. He's willing to do anything for our well-being, including laying down his very life for us. Romans 5, 7 and 8 says this. Read it out loud with me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. Say that with me. While we were still sinners. Wow. Is that unconditional love and grace? It will change you when you realize that there is a God that loves you as much as the cross reveals and the resurrection that loves you that much even when you sin. It doesn't change His love. Does it not tell you that you can trust this God with your concerns, with your health, with your cares, with your future, with your loved ones, that you can trust Him with your very life? You know, a loving God means that His plans and His desires for you are all motivated by that love and His desire for your best. Jesus said in John 10.10, He said, I came that you may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance, that you might have life to the full till it overflows. I'm going to tell you, some people are absolutely blown away by that statement, that Jesus would say, I came, the reason I came to this earth was that you might have and enjoy life. I came to make you miserable. Yeah, that's what we tend to believe. I I came to put you under a lot of laws, a lot of thou shalt nots and thou shalts. That's what the Christian life is, right? The Christian life is take the ten things you like to do least and stop doing them and the ten things you hate to do and start doing them, right? If that's what you think, let me introduce you to the real Jesus. The one who said, I came to this earth so that you might enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Listen, there is no life more joyful, more full, more abundant, more overflowing than the one that the God who loves you has planned for you. Amen. Number three, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that the best is yet to come. You know, the resurrection of Jesus is our basis for hope. It's our, it's our promise of victory. You know, God promises this. This isn't in your, in your outline, but it'll be up here on the screen. Isaiah 61.3, God says this, I will give them beauty for ashes. In, either, in other words, out of the ashes that we experience in life, God will bring beauty out of it. He will bring joy out of mourning and praise instead of heaviness. You know, on Sunday, from the ashes of the cross came the beauty of the resurrection. Joy and praise replaced that mourning and that spirit of heaviness. And that is the promise of the resurrection for us. In our own lives, from ashes, from our pain, from our sorrow, will come beauty. Romans 8.28 says, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love them. Again, this doesn't mean that God causes everything that happens to us, but it means that the things that do happen to us, God will cause them to work together for our good. So the bad things, the ashes, out of those, God will bring good. He will bring beauty. I love that promise. I'm living that promise. So in your life, your world, when your world feels like You're in ashes. And maybe it feels that way now. Maybe you're hurting today for some reason. And you feel hopeless. You feel stuck. You feel like your life's in ashes. Hang on to hope. Beauty is coming as surely as the resurrection followed the cross. For every... Silent Saturday we talked about last week. For every Friday, remember it 's only Friday. Sunday's Amen Sunday. Now, speaking of the best is yet to come, Christ not only offers abundant life now but he offers eternal life. Wow, what a deal! How many of y'all think that's a good deal? The Sunday school teacher was asking her young students one day so who here wants to go to heaven? And nobody raised their hand. And so the teacher kind of scratched his head and thought, well, let me ask this again. Uh, kids, I don't think you understood exactly what the question was. What I asked was, uh, which one of you here wants to go to heaven? Still, nobody raised their hands. As a matter of fact, now the kids are kind of looking at each other. It's like, and so finally the teacher goes, are you kidding me? There is no one in this classroom right now that you want to go to heaven when you die. Little boy in the front row goes, Shh, when, when we die? We thought you were trying to get up a group to go now. <laughs> well, I have some news to deliver to you. You're going to die. Every single one of us. That's just part of life. Listen, if this is your first time in church, don't panic. We're not going to bring out the rattlesnakes and the Kool-Aid. We're safe. But it is true that 100 out of 100 people die. There are no exceptions, but I have good news. Death has been defeated. It could not hold Jesus, and it cannot hold those that belong to him. And there is a day coming for those who belong to Christ that looks like this, Revelation 21. This is a scene of heaven. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Read the rest out loud with me. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So abundant life here and now, and eternal life to come. Which is why Paul could write, and why we all can say, who've trusted in Christ, Philippians 121, for to me to live is Christ. He is my source of joy. He has my reason to live and to die is gain, for I will be with him in eternity. Yeah. <laughs> Let me close by sharing a little bit about my personal story. I grew up in church like probably many of you have. And I believed in my head the stuff I heard in church. But to be honest, Christ did not have a big impact in my life. Uh, He didn't make a a huge difference in how I live day to day. Basically, I, I lived for myself and I went to church on Sunday and I prayed whenever I wanted or needed something from God. Maybe you can relate. But there came a point in my life where I realized that there had to be more. You know, I thought about it. If all this stuff is true that we talk about at church, if there is a God and he loves me so much that he sent his only son to suffer and die on a cross in my place to take the penalty for my sins upon himself, and if he rose from the dead, there has got to be more that he wants from me than what I'm experiencing. And I just got down on my knees one night And I said, God, I want everything that you have for me. I want to live for you. I want the more that you've made available. I don't want this just to be about going to church on Sundays and praying when I want or need something. I want you to take control of my life. I want the life that you have for me because a God that loves me as much as you do, (laughs) I want what you've got planned for me. Have you made that decision? I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Can we bow our heads, close our eyes? And if you are not sure whether you've ever given your life to Christ, like you may be like me, you may have gone to church all your life, but you know there's more. There's got to be. And if you're not certain whether you've ever given your life to Jesus Christ, ask him to come into your heart and forgive your sins. I, I, I want to extend that invitation. This is the time of decision. I extend that, extend that invitation for you to receive Christ right now into your heart and life and to receive his forgiveness, to be given eternal life. And so if you're not sure and you want to be sure before you leave, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And I want all of us to pray this prayer out loud but especially if you are praying to give your life to Christ right now. So let's all pray this out loud. For some of us, this will be just an affirmation of our faith. Pray this. Father in heaven, I admit to you that I've sinned. I need your forgiveness. I want the life you want for me. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that Jesus came to this earth as a man. I believe that Jesus suffered and died on the cross where he took the penalty for my sins upon himself. I believe Jesus rose from the dead and is alive today. Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, fill me with your Holy Spirit, forgive me. I want everything that you desire for me. And I thank you for hearing and answering my prayer. And just for a moment again with. Eyes still closed and heads bowed. Let me ask, if you did pray to give your life to Christ just now, would you just slip up your hand? I'm not going to ask you to walk to the front. I just want to see. If you raised, would you raise your hand? Raise them up high so that I can see them. Oh, fantastic. And, and for those of you that raised your hands and just you, would you open your eyes and look at me for just a second? Christ heard your prayer and he is now in you, and he has forgiven you, and you belong to him, and you have eternal life, and he will never leave you or forsake you. You are his from this point and for all of eternity. Welcome to God's family.